So I got really into weightlifting in an effort to try to get bigger, getting to the point where I was drinking double shots of olive oil, consuming like 6,000 calories a day, couldn't gain weight, uh, ended up becoming a personal trainer, was training people who were struggling in the exact opposite direction. I was telling them to eat less and move more, putting them on 1,200 calorie diets. They couldn't get smaller, eating a fifth of the calories I was eating, but I couldn't get bigger. And the, the calorie math just didn't add up. Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. Hey everybody, Nick Nanton here, and we are back with a new episode of Now to Next with Nick Nanton, all the ends. I know I've got my friend, uh, Jonathan Baylor, the CEO of Sane Solutions here. Uh, Jonathan, how's it going, man? Good, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure, man. Hey, uh, so I'm going to read a quick bio here that we put together on you, and then we'll get into the conversation. Uh, but Jonathan Baylor is a New York Times bestselling author, wellness expert, and founder of the metabolic healing and diabetes treatment company, Sane Solution. He also produced and stars in the new documentary, Better, which debunks the myth that the only way to lose weight is to starve your body. The film focuses on the dual ec epidemics of obesity and diabetes, which is called diabetes and Jonathan, you shared with me the first time I met you. You did not make that term up. It is a, it's, it's a common term. Uh, even though I'd never heard it, it makes sense. Those two things seem to come together all the time. Um, and uh, it, it looks at the reason for its rise and what we can all do to live and eat better. Jonathan has also registered over 25 patents to his name, spoken at Fortune 100 companies and TED conferences for over a decade. And his work has been endorsed by top doctors and scientists from Harvard Medical School, Johns Hopkins, the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, and UCLA. Uh, so again, welcome to the show, Jonathan. Excited to sort of dig into what we've got to talk about today. You doing well today? I'm doing well. I am doing well. Awesome, man. Well, cool. So, all right. So let's talk a bit about your story. Uh, you had a desire to be Superman uh, and you struggled with this much like me. Um, you had an interesting struggle about actually not being able to gain weight and muscle. Um, tell me a bit about that and maybe when you, how it was as a kid and when you first sort of realized this might be a problem. My story, like, like so many people's story was I had a, I had a, very sort of shameful perception of my body growing up, except I had sort of a different shameful perception that most Americans have. I was, and still am, very geeky. I was an engineer at Microsoft for 10 years. I'm very introverted. I play extroverted very well, but, but it's an act. And so I was a very geeky kid growing up and loved the Rocky movies, loved the Superman movies, and wanted to be bigger. So did not, I literally got bullied so bad in high school. At one point, my mother called the principal because this is kind of gross. She found bloody underwear in the laundry because I was getting wedgied so hard that I was bleeding. So anyway, so I was like, I need to like basically protect myself against this. So I got really into weightlifting in an effort to try to get bigger, getting to the point where I was drinking double shots of olive oil. I was taking what are now illegal supplements. I mean, I was just doing everything I could in an effort to get bigger, couldn't, was con consuming like 6,000 calories a day, couldn't gain weight, uh, ended up becoming a personal trainer, was training people who were struggling in the exact opposite direction. I was telling them to eat less and move more, putting them on 1,200 calorie diets. 
they couldn't get smaller eating a fifth of the calories I was eating, but I couldn't get bigger. And the, the calorie math just didn't add up. So this set me on a lifelong quest to try to figure out like at its most basic sense, there are naturally thin people in the world. They exist, right? There are, there's a product called weight gainer, right? <laughs> there is a demand out. There is a market for people that just can't gain weight on their body. And at the same time, we have an epidemic of people who can't not have excess fat on their body. Like no matter how little they eat, no matter how much they exercise. So I said to myself, like, what is going on in my body? that is causing it to act this way, what can we learn from that? And could we take those learnings to help treat the dual epidemics of obesity and diabetes? And turns out after 15 years of work with top doctors at Harvard, UCLA, Johns Hopkins, and the Mayo Clinic, we can. And that's what we talk about in the better movie. Absolutely. So how frustrating is it when you're working with people who are trying to lose weight and you can't gain weight and they can't lose weight? Like how... How did that come to a head? I imagine that was rather frustrating for the clients who couldn't lose weight. Yeah, full, full transparency. I, I I say this with a heavy heart. I was back right. I'm 38 now, so this was this was like 20 years ago. So forgive me. Enough time has passed. Uh, I was you know 18, 19, 20. I was a personal trainer at Valley Total Fitness in Columbus, Ohio, and up until a certain moment in my life, I was a type of person who just thought like, just work harder. Like, why are you being lazy? I don't understand. Like, this is just, it's not a bit like I'm, I'm thin. What's the problem? Like, it's not a big deal. Try harder. But there was a moment where I was in my uh, office, quote unquote, at Valley Total Fitness in Columbus, Ohio, with one of my clients who I'm an 18 year old kid at this time. She was probably in her forties. Amazing. I think she was a high level attorney with a family, like a, like a true superwoman. I mean, doing all this stuff. And we're going over her numbers for the week. And I'm like, you know, you haven't lost any weight. Like what, what you're, you're basically lying in your food log. And she just starts crying. And she says, Jonathan, I swear, I'm, I just, what's wrong with me. And that those words, like what's wrong with me when she said that for some reason, I had this like montage get set off in my brain where I saw like the giant bodybuilder who I quote unquote wanted to be asking me what's wrong with you. Why don't you just try harder? And in that moment, like literally I had this, this like light bulb memory of it. It can't be that she's not trying hard enough because I am literally killing myself. I mean, I was like pooping 10 times a day because of all this crap that I was putting into my body. Right. It wasn't an effort issue. She wasn't having an effort issue. Over the past 15 years, we've proven like, yes, 1% of overweight people are eating 20 gallons of Ben and Jerry's ice cream every day. And that's personal responsibility and blah, blah, blah. That's the 1%. The 99% eat just like everyone else. They, they indulge sometimes. So does everybody else. Right. But they their body reacts differently. It's not an effort problem. It's a neurological problem. It's a gastrointestinal problem and it's a hormonal problem and we can fix it. Love it. And so you, your parents are professors. So you had this natural inclination to go do more research. Well, you said, you're, you're, you said uh, that your mom, when you talked to her about it, she said it sounded that like you had, you and your clients have an information problem, not an effort problem. So great advice to get 
you thinking on a different plane. So tell me what you go do to try to get the right information now. After that, that meeting where I had the what's wrong with me moment, let's say, where I realize there's nothing wrong with me. I realize there's nothing wrong with my clients. There's something wrong. There's something else wrong, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I did have a conversation with both of my parents, so I'm very fortunate to have two college professor parents who just said, well, Jonathan, it sounds like you have an information problem, so where are you getting your information? And you know, I went through whatever certification program existed at that time, but by and large, it was like, well, what's that really fit guy at the gym doing? And what are the muscle magazines saying? And what is popular culture saying? They said, well, have you actually like looked at actual research? Have you gone to the source, right? They're college professors. And I hadn't. And frankly, no one in the industry at that time was doing that. So I spent the next 15 years of my life essentially geeking out with over 1,300 research papers in very diverse areas. And this is really important, right? I want to be very clear that everything I do is essentially evangelizing the work of actual experts. None of this is like the Jonathan Baylor method. There is, There are surprisingly, there is not all this controversy that you see on the internet in the actual research community. Like if you look at actual experts that do research for a living in the arenas of neurobiology, how your brain works, endocrinology, how your hormones work, and gastroenterology, how your gut works, none of them are just like, yeah, if you just eat less and exercise more, that's the solution. Or, you know, butter is good for you. No, butter is bad for you. Like there are first principles and that's what we ended up distilling down across those 1300 studies, we did say, look, there are common characteristics of what causes obesity and diabetes over time. And it's not a character flaw. It's three underlying medical issues. And there is agreement among actual experts as to the types of foods you should be eating to reverse that. Like it really isn't controversial when you look at the science and when you go to the experts and you treat biology as a matter of fact, which it is, versus a matter of opinion, which is the way the internet treats it. Got it. All right. So, I mean, you developed the same solution. It's an acronym. Tell us some of the solutions. I know one of the big ones, the big things we mentioned briefly, like you know, a calorie is not a calorie. Like that, that is a absolute myth. Um, so tell us about how this works. Tell us what SANE stands for. And let's, let's, we're going to talk about the movie for sure, but let's talk about some practical advice that people watching right now can go like, Oh, I could like, let's make this easy because I, it's not that hard. The first book that, or the book that really sparked this fire uh, was a book called the calorie myth, which ended up being a New York times bestseller and blah, blah, blah. And what you alluded to there, a calorie is not a calorie is one of the things this book tackles head on. So the book is not saying that calories are a myth. Obviously calories exist. Right. They're not like unicorns. They're a thing. And this is where things get a little rocky though, is uh, in a world of, of sound bites, we, we don't often have enough time to really get to the nuanced truth. So let me once and for all clear up, clear up this whole calories a calorie thing. So Nick, if I were to put in front of, you have children, correct? Yep. Well, how, how old is your youngest child? 10. So if in, in front of your 10 year old, you put an eight ounce glass of water and an eight ounce glass of lighter fluid, you could tell your child eight ounces of clear liquid is eight ounces of clear liquid. Like eight ounces of clear liquid is eight ounces of clear liquid, right. but you wouldn't recommend that they drink both of those glasses. Right. right. So on one hand, eight ounces 
is eight ounces. On the other hand, what those eight ounces are made up of can have a radically different impact on the body. So when you think about that from like a, a liquid perspective, it's clear, right? No pun intended. Those are both eight ounces of clear liquid. They're not the same for practical reasons. Right. The same thing applies to calorie. A calorie, just like an ounce, is a unit of measure. And what it's measuring is the volume or amount of energy you get from something. But that's just one characteristic, right? You, you get no energy from the, the drug lithium, but it clearly has an impact on your body. So we have to look at the quality of the substances we're putting in our body, not just the quantity. And that's why when we focus on calories, frankly, it just makes the problem worse because now you go into McDonald's and they tell you anything under 400 calories is healthy. Well, first of all, that's ridiculous because all they need to do is shrink their serving size and technically you could make anything health healthy. And here's the sneaky little secret. They can actually charge you more for less food because they can say our healthy options are more expensive and they're just reduced portion sizes of our more of our other options, which again, sounds ridiculous, but hundred calorie snack packs are actually more expensive than their larger peers because they're healthier options. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. So, all right. So break it down to what, how, how I would navigating the world where I would go to find the right types of calories. I mean, how do I, how do I pick my foods now? Yeah. So clearly a calorie is not a calorie from when it, when we look at it from a, how does it impact your body perspective? So what are the things that actually differentiate one calorie from another? So that's where the acronym SANE comes into play. So calories vary in their satiety or how much they fill you up and how long they keep you full. So for example, Pringles tells you very straightforward. They're not trying to hide it. Once you pop, you can't stop. They're telling you eating these calories makes you hungrier. So clearly calories vary in their satiety, how long they keep you full and how quickly they fill you up. The, the A insane is aggression or the hormonal impact of food. So you don't need a PhD for this one. Most people have heard about it already. For example, that let's say certain foods spike blood sugar more than other foods. And that's like even you. Sort of Joe average sort of understands that level of nutrition. So again, a calorie is not a calorie and how much it fills you up, how long it keeps you full. Calorie is also not a calorie in terms of how it affects your hormones or things like blood sugar or how aggressively it causes reactions in your body. The N insane is nutrition. Clearly 300 calories of broccoli does not have the same nutrition of 300 calories of Mountain Dew. Right. So the fact that people would ever say a calorie is a calorie just from a nutrition perspective is ridiculous. Right. So S-A-N, the E insane is efficiency. This is the one that's least well communicated in the mainstream. There's three primary sources of calories. We call them macronutrients, protein, fat and carbohydrate. Essentially, protein is completely inefficient or it means your body cannot store protein as fat. It cannot, it cannot even use it for energy. Protein is a structural component that your body uses to build tissue. And this is all a long-winded way of saying that different sources of calories can be more efficiently burned or used or stored as fat by your body. And this is why, generally speaking, higher protein diets result in long-term weight loss because protein calories are processed less efficiently 
by your body than say carbohydrate or fat calories. So we look at satiety, aggression, nutrition, and efficiency. And we say we have a unifying framework where we can define the quality of a calorie. And if we translate that into your grocery store, it's very simple. You think of four food groups, non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense proteins, whole food fats, and low fructose fruits. Those are in order the sanest substances in the world. Got it. And so breaking down the third one you said, um, the the fats, I think it was. Um, whole, what was it? Whole food fats, what was it? Whole food fats is the third food group, yeah. So what what is that in English? There's, yeah, there's been a lot of talk about like the keto diet or, you know, is fat good for you? Is fat bad for you? So on and so forth. There is no such thing as like, are carbs good or bad? Is fat good or bad? Is protein good or bad? There are body enhancing and body destroying forms of protein, fat, and carbohydrate respectively. What we do is create the framework to define that. So when we look at fats, we say, which fats are the most satisfying, least aggressive, most nutritious, and least efficiently converted into fat in your body? And these are fats that are found in whole food form. So for example, you'll hear a lot of talk about like olive oil is good for you. Well, it might be, but doesn't it stand to reason that whole olives are even better for you? Because whole olives contain everything that's good about olive oil, plus they're a whole food. And if there's one thing it seems like the world agrees on when it comes to a nutrition perspective, it's that eating food in its whole natural form is better for you than the processed equivalent. So when we say whole food fats, we just mean foods that get the majority of their calories from fat and are consumed in their whole form. So like an egg, nuts, seeds, things along those lines. Got it. Uh, is avocado in that same vein? It absolutely is. Avocados are by and large fat. They get most of their calories from fat. And as long as you're eating the whole avocado minus the skin and the giant thing in the middle, uh, it's, it is a fiber rich and nutrient dense whole food source of fats. Love it. Cool. Um, well, and I know you, you dig into this in your books and now let's get to the documentary, uh, a, a idea that's near and dear to my heart, obviously documentaries. And so you created this documentary better, which is available on sort of all platforms right now, or a bunch of platforms and Apple iTunes and I'm sure Xbox, just all just search better. You'll find it's got a big avocado on the front of it. Uh, it's easy to find great artwork. Tell me what inspired you to do that. And what's, you know, about that process and, and what you hope it does for people. One of the most challenging things when it comes to no pun intended working to help people live better is, is, is there's two sides of it. One is getting people information, but it's, it's, it's fairly easy to get people information. We live in the information age. There is no shortage of ways to get information to people. It's, it's hard to cut through all the bull crap, but that's the thing that can be challenging is, is aside from societal issues, which we're probably not going to talk about in this podcast, like food deserts and such is, is the motivation to act on that information. And one of the things I noticed in this 15 year journey is <clears throat> there are about a billion people in the world who practice every day and in their families, 24 seven, 365, pretty hardcore, uh, let's call them dietary restrictions. Like they don't eat like everyone else. These are people who are kosher or halal 
or vegans or vegetarians, or even let's say pregnant women, for example, individuals who we generally wouldn't say are on a diet, but do eat in ways that maybe people that don't follow that lifestyle would find very challenging. And these individuals don't, like someone who's kosher generally doesn't wake up in the morning like, oh my God, another day of being kosher. This is kicking my ass. How long can I keep it up, right? So why is that? Well, if you look at the common denominator between all of those lifestyles, it's because there's a much deeper why behind their lifestyle choice. They're not eating in a halal way because they want to look good at their high school reunion next week. They're not eating a halal way because they've been shamed into doing that by airbrushed models in magazines. They have a much deeper why that usually is tied to spiritual beliefs. I mean, even when you think of like even pregnant women or vegans or vegetarians, like it's, it's a spiritual thing. Like I have a life growing inside of me. I want to respect other life, so on and so forth. So how do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you, how do people, right? Usually you're born into like a kosher or halal, but so we wanted to look at like, let's say vegans and vegetarians like that. Being a vegan is a freaking, I'm not here to say it's good, bad, right, or wrong. I am here to say it's hard. It's not easy to be a vegan. I think we can all agree on that. And if you talk to most vegans and vegetarians, 99% of the time in my experience, there was a moment in time where they saw something literally saw something that they could never unsee that forever changed the way they perceived food and their body and the relationship between those two things. So we said, what if, so, okay, so the visual medium is incredibly important and it seems to be able to trigger this deeper why in people for certain forms of lifestyle change. So what if we could create a visual thing that caused people not to have a why for any specific diet, but to have a deeper why for just choosing better, for no longer feeding their dogs better than they feed themselves, but for saying, I am worth better. I am worth choosing better. I deserve high quality fuel, right? I'm not a used beat up car. I'm a Ferrari and I deserve premium gasoline. And that's where the better movie came from was the the idea to try to package up that almost that why in a box, that spiritual spark that will trigger a lifestyle worth of better and empowering and self-loving decision-making because that's what we've seen work in the past. Uh, I love it. And yeah, that's one thing people ask me, well, is a documentary better than a book? I said, it's just a different medium, right? And, and, and media is simply a medium for sharing stories and ultimately making impact. And, you know, I'm going to have, there's going to be people who are never going to watch the movie. There's people who are never going to read the book. There's people who are never going to watch the podcast. So like, it's all about just using the tools you have at your disposal. Now, are there certain tools that I find better for certain things? Certainly, like the visual I can show you in documentary form and the emotion I can, I find it, you know, really great for certain things like that. Um, so going through the documentary process, um, tell us a little bit about how you did it. I, I know how I do it, but I, I've never really worked with anybody else who made their own documentaries. Like, tell me how you did it and what you sought out to get, like what kind of people involved um, and, and how, it, you know, how it came together. 
we had the incredible honor and privilege, like actually many, many years back when I was still working at Microsoft. So I, I worked at Microsoft for 10 years of my life and while actually writing these books. And then because of the success of the calorie myth book at that time, I had to, it was, it was, it, it couldn't just be a side project anymore. It needed to, needed to branch off. But at that time, it was completely not for profit. We were just putting this information out into the world. And at that time, we found a, a production company that called Blair Media in, in Fresno, California, who just shared our passion for making the world a better place and getting information out into the world. So at that time, we produced like an eight minute, very high production uh, value animated short to essentially take this research and just like put it, just give it to the world as quickly and efficiently as possible. And uh, it was an amazing experience. I think that video has been viewed over 500,000 times online at this point. And when we then had the idea to, to do a full length feature film, the opportunity to work with these individuals who their own lives have been changed by this, their own families' lives have been changed by this saying, hey, you know, we have these doctors at the Harvard Medical School who are willing to participate. We have these 20 people who have been living this way, who are willing to participate can you bring your storytelling excellence and your personal passion for this to the table? We are very fortunate that they said yes. Uh, and, and, you know, the incredible sort of financial contributions of everybody, the time contributions of everybody. There was a moment when we were filming this, it might even be in the movie where at some, like at some point I just started crying and I was like, how is this happening right now? Because it's the number of things that had to come together for this to even be financially viable, let alone like, you know, it happening before COVID and, you know, so on and so forth. But that's, there was a tremendous, there was literally a decade worth of work to build these relationships with these top Harvard doctors. There was six years of the program existing, uh, let's say not in the mainstream for people to actually adopt it and be able to speak to it. And then there was a six to eight year relationship with this amazing production company called Blair Media that at some point we just said, look, we've got to take this to the next level. Can we all up our game and turn this into a feature film? And it was a incredible amount of work. Uh, there was definitely some points where we thought we weren't going to be able to pull it off. There was definitely, I think, the uh, the director, Justin McAleese, literally went three days without sleeping at one point to get the finishing touches done. I, I don't know how that's humanly possible, but when you are motivated by love, like there's no, it was absolutely not worth the money. It's, it's, it will never be worth the money, ever. But when you're doing it because you literally believe like my daughters deserve a better world. Like I cannot have my daughters come up in a world that has this misinformation and shame in it anymore. That's what pulls it through. I totally get it. And they're on a near daily basis trying to make decisions that don't make sense on paper with budgets, but that's not why I did it. Like I did it because this is a story that I thought could shift people's perspective. I thought I could give people hope. I thought I could give people truth or whatever the particular goal of that piece is. So I, I, see that everywhere as well. And, and I really respect and appreciate that because it is, those are tough. They're easy to talk about, easier to talk about afterwards. There's many times when you're in those situations, you're going, what do I do? What's, what's responsible and smart here? Like, cause you know, you have a family that relies on you. There's teams at the production company that you know, have employees. So do I like what's, what's responsible here. And so really, it can get really sticky because your responsibility to the film, to the end product 
and your responsibility to the people who you work with you and for you and your family can seem like they're diametrically opposed at times. I would say that I feel like, and I'm sure you would say the same at the end of the day, I feel like long-term they're all on the same page. Just sometimes short-term it's a tough decision to make because you go, well, we might be short payroll <laughs> if we spend this now, but it's ultimately going to make everyone's life better. So let's do it. But I think those are the, those are the decisions we make on a daily basis if we're living, I think, with purpose. I think those are those are parenting decisions we make too, by the way. It's not just in, in documentary filmmaking. They're business decisions. They're decisions you make whether you're the boss or an employee or a, a, a day laborer. I mean, we all have these things that if it all comes back to this purpose, like what is the purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing? And uh, in many cases, if you don't, if you lose sight of that, you don't even have that as your, you know, as your beacon, as your lighthouse. Um, I bet it's probably pretty depressing. So I'm, I'm glad that you have that. I'm glad that I have that. And I encourage everybody who's, who's watching, listening, you know, find those things and try to still down like, yeah, what is the greater purpose? Because ultimately I will say you can, you can never win a game. You don't know the rules. Um, you know, people would say, people think anything with great structure, most outsiders think, is greatly restricting. So whether you would talk about, by the way, like religion or uh, Christianity, or you would talk about uh, being vegan, or you would talk, like there's something like, that sounds like, or kosher, that sounds really difficult. What's interesting, as you've already alluded to, when you have a set of rules that you believe in, for a reason more than like, ah, let me try that out. And you have a, like a, a conviction and a strong constitution for following them. Like in a game of soccer or football, you just can't, if you go outside of the lines, you very clearly know the answer. The other team gets the ball or, or you know, in soccer or in football, you got to start the next play or whatever. But like, if we don't know these rules, we can't win the game. And so what I love about structure is it is when you find it from the right places that's scientifically you know, proven, sound advice, not what you're seeing on infomercials. And not that some of them don't tell the truth, but uh, let's, let's talk about that later. Um, find sound advice and sound structure so you can know the game you are playing. Because I can promise you, once you understand the game you're playing, like everything else gets a lot easier because it actually eliminates a lot of decisions that you even have to make. Like, for instance, if you decide you're not drinking soda, well, like you just eliminated like a good number of choices that you'd have to make in a day of like, what am I going to drink? And we all know there's decision fatigue and all these other things. So I, I love that that is, um, that's what your, you know, better promotes that obviously um, Sane does your books, that whole idea of, Hey, let me give you, let me give you a structure and rules for the game that you have a chance at winning. So anyway, thanks for doing that. Um, I greatly appreciate it. I highly encourage everyone to go watch better, check it out, share it with friends, rate it, Give us comments on all the channels. Let us know what you thought of it. And uh, I ultimately believe it will set you on a course for making better decisions. Uh, anything in closing, Jonathan? I would just say uh, bettermovie.com. If you wouldn't mind just going to that URL, just bettermovie.com. Again, that's one of those. When we realized that URL was available for purchase, we were like, are you kidding me? How does nobody have bettermovie.com? So I don't know if you've ever tried to buy a domain. You're like, they're all taken. And but bettermovie.com wasn't taken. So go to bettermovie.com. I think you'll enjoy it. I love it. Bettermovie.com. That's awesome. Uh, funny story on that. I was working with a speaker years ago to come to speak at my event who was uh, a member of the, the Speakers Hall of Fame. And I was reading his bio, just to get everything ready for the 
promotional stuff. And it had a, it was a hot link and that speakers hall of fame went to a website and the website said, this domain is for sale. So I bought it. Cause it's like, it, you know, it used to be owned by somebody and then all of a sudden it wasn't. And so I was like, Oh, I'll take that. Uh, so uh, funny story, one opportunity strikes. So yes, there's been many of those, not many of those opportunities, but they're fun when you find them. So bettermovie.com, check it out. Check out Jonathan's books, check out Sand Solution. And uh, Jonathan, thanks for joining me here on Nada Next and everyone else. Thank you for joining us. Make sure uh, you tell your friends about it. And uh, if you have any guests you'd like to see, let us know. Make sure you subscribe, like, do all that fun stuff. And thanks for joining us. And we will see you next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.